Thank you, Jerry. Excellent choice for Servant of the Month. Uh, yesterday was uh, Hope on the Trail uh, for Hope for His Children, and uh, I participated, and um, you know, there's a lot more of me to enjoy something than there used to be, and I find that slows me down a little on the trail, <laughs> and I needed a lot of hope on the trail yesterday, and just as I was, I knew, <laughs> this is awful to admit, but I'm going to, I, when I knew I was in view <laughs> of the people at the finish line, I started running. <laughs> <laughs> And it doesn't take much for me to work up a good sweat. Um, in fact, uh, Rosie Leedy was there, and she said, did you run that whole thing? <laughs> and I said, yes, ma'am, from the time you could see me, I did. Uh, <laughs> but Teresa Kaplinger, she, 10K, I'm assuming, yeah, she had run the whole 10K. I had run the last few hundred feet. And she goes, yay, Sean. <laughs> 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 Love that, Jerry. I know that smile you're talking about. Great encouragement. So good. All right. So today we're continuing our uh, series, Chosen. You are chosen by God. And if you ever doubt uh, your abilities to answer that call and to, to be equipped with everything you need, in a sense, it's not you that you're doubting. It's God himself. Today we're going to be looking at Peter. And uh, Peter was another one of those imperfect people that if you and I had been around during that day and heard all the great things that were going to be accomplished for the kingdom through Peter, we would probably have gone, they chose Peter? <laughs> what? I mean, because we would go looking for the perfect, polished person for every task. But God, who makes no mistakes, knows what he's doing when he chooses people for great things for his kingdom. And you wouldn't be here today. You would not have breath in your lungs if God did not have a purpose for you. Have you ever heard a parent say, and maybe you've said this after your children are, you know, all around the room, maybe they've had some red Kool-Aid, uh, they're just uh, wound up, and you say to yourself, man, if I could just harness that energy for something good, <laughs> that'd be great. Um, and, and that's the case with Peter a little bit. Peter is impulsive. But if ever there could be a flaw that also has a good side to it, this is one of those. The old-time preachers used to say, I'd rather try to control a fire than to light wet wood. <laughs> and Peter was truly a fireball. Um, sometimes he would speak, maybe faster than he should have. Or he would be quick to, to react to something and to jump all in, maybe before he had a chance to really think it through. But at least he jumped. At least he sprang into action. At least he said something. There was nothing about Peter that screamed apathy. Uh, Wayne Smith has often said, I have seldom apologized for my position, but I have often apologized for my disposition. And that would be me. You know, sometimes I can just hold it back forever and a day, and then all of a sudden I say too much at the wrong time and then with the wrong tone, and then I just eat myself up with guilt over it, not because I said something, but because of how it was said. Peter was impulsive, and, and, and he was prone uh, to act quickly. God gives focus to the impulsive. Peter was full of fire and zeal. I appreciate Peter so much for one thing because of his response to Jesus' question in Matthew 16, verses 13 through 17, who do men say that I am? In other words, what's the word about me on the street? 
When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, well, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father who is in heaven. And Simon was given that nickname, Petros, meaning rock or rocky. Peter knew Jesus was the son of the living God, and he was quick to speak up and to respond. It was just kind of a casual conversation for the other disciples. You kind of get the impression, well, some say you're Elijah or one of the other prophets. Some say you're John the Baptist, and you've come back from the dead. Now, that's a scary response since he was beheaded. You know? But you, what about you? If someone puts you on the spot and they ask you, so you're a Christian, huh? What does that mean to you? What does it, be, what does it mean to you that you are called a follower of Jesus? What does Christianity mean? I, I see that you're a church member. Or I, I hear people say you're a member of such and such a church, Dover Christian Church. What does that mean to you? Do you have a response? 1 Peter 3.15 says, In your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope. That is in you, semicolon, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Be ready and be compassionate to give anyone who asks you about your faith an answer as to who Jesus is. Whenever someone comes to make a decision for Christ, it's certainly the tradition of the Christian church to have them repeat a confession or a profession and acknowledgement of faith in Christ. Because we never want to have the, the appearance that we are just getting people wet and assuming that there's enough water to wash away their sins. If an unbelieving, unrepentant person gets baptized, all they're doing is getting wet. <laughs> We want people to be able to say before they are baptized to everyone who is around them, oh yes, I do believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and I accept him now as my Lord and Savior. And then when I, if it's me, if I get to be the one to baptize them, I'm able to say, well, based on that confession of faith, it's now my privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Based on that faith, based on that acknowledgement, and it's not some man-made uh, expression that we've written out and memorized and have people to do, it is taken straight from Matthew 16, where, where Peter acknowledges, you are the Messiah, you're the one, is what he's saying. Because the Old Testament prophets had prophesied that Jesus was coming, that this Messiah, Messiah in the Old Testament, Christ in the New Testament, that this Messiah was coming and Jesus was he. He was the promised one. And Peter is saying, look no further, you are him. You are the son of the living God. I did a little bit of study there on, on the type of tense that is used in, in the wording. And it's very important to throw in that word the you are the son of the living god <laughs> the one the only the true god the god of abraham isaac and jacob you are his son born in the flesh here on earth god with us emmanuel jesus is the one and peter is the one who gives us that acknowledgement and jesus does not just brush that off and try to downplay it he says you are right peter 
He says, you didn't come up with this on your own. No one taught this to you. My Father in heaven, he has opened your eyes. He has revealed this to you, and you are a rock. The secret to what made Peter such a great follower of Christ, who all of us should want to be like, is that he knew who Jesus was, and he wasn't afraid to speak up quickly about it. I like that kind of impulsiveness that he had. We become world changers when we focus on pleasing Jesus. That's the key solution to today's message. We become world changers when we focus on pleasing who? Jesus. Who are you focused on pleasing? And believe me, they say what? When you point your finger, you've got, what, three of them pointing right back at you? <laughs> I got three, three pointing right at me. Because I've got all kinds of audiences that I strive to please when I really should have just one, Jesus. If for you, if it's your supervisor, focus on Jesus and your supervisor will be impressed with your work performance. Because if you're striving to please Jesus and you're focusing on him, you're going to be a model employee. If it's your teacher, focus on Jesus, and your, your teacher will be impressed with the kind of student that you are in the classroom. Your teacher will know that he or she can count on you because you're striving not to please your teacher but to please Jesus. If it's your coach, focus on Jesus, and your coach will be impressed with your game. If it's people who hear you sing or teach or lead or preach, focus on Jesus, and your hearers will be impressed. If you strive not to please them but to please Jesus, they end up being the ones who end up impressed after all. Because you were designed by God, created by him in his image to do good works for him. And when you realize that and you focus on Jesus, your impulsive thoughts, your impulsive words, your impulsive actions start to fall in line with what God wants. Because you're striving, your whole life is all about who you are in him, not about the side roles that you play in life. If you're not impressing the people you're trying to impress, it's because you're trying to impress the people you're trying to impress. <laughs> yes, I read that straight from my notes to make sure I got it right. If, you're, if you find that you're not impressing the people that you're trying to impress, it's probably because you're trying to impress the people that you're trying to impress. It's a formula for failure. The one to whom you should try to impress is Jesus, the son of the living God. And if you're trying to impress him, then you'll have better character, better work ethic, better values, compassion, and skill. So much anxiety is caused because we have the wrong audience in mind. We worry about what people will think. We worry about looking bad or embarrassing ourselves in front of others. If Jesus is the one that you're trying to please, the anxiety subside, and the people who you would have been nervous about trying to please will end up being pleased after all. Shortly after I became a Christian at the age of 18, I remember being out to eat with some people after church, and it was mentioned that one of the ladies around the table had a beautiful voice, wedding singer style, I mean, just beautiful voice. And yet I had never heard her sing in church, and I asked about that, and she goes, oh, I would be too nervous to sing in church. I quit doing that years ago. It would make me too nervous. And I remember, as a newborn in Christ, how odd that sounded to me. And not to throw her under the bus or, or judge her, but I remember thinking to myself, that must mean you're trying to please the people. Because if you were trying to please Jesus, then you wouldn't be so nervous. Now, I had never spoken on stage <laughs> or read anything on stage, 
Still have never, well, yes, I have sung on stage in front of people, but we won't go there. Um, <laughs> believe me, I get it. <laughs> I'm the same way. I have got my audiences. <laughs> but the one we should try to impress is Jesus. Try this experiment. Every morning this week when you wake up, pray this simple prayer or something like it. Dear God, how may I please you today? <laughs> Help me focus on you and pleasing you. Show me the fruits of a life that is dedicated to pleasing you alone. And if you ask God every day, show me today how I can please you. And he begins to reveal that to you, and you become more conscious of it. It'll blow your mind, I think, at the anxiety that is cast upon him and off of yourself, and just how much happier everybody is with your efforts. Okay, three things. One, activate your participation. Activate your participation. Get in the game, all right? We talked about that a few weeks ago when we were talking about the seven letters to the churches, and we talked about when you're about to run out the door and you grab those things. We said the hardest part is just to get going, to get moving. And once you finally get, get out of bed and get out of the, you know, your, your lazy around-the-house sweat clothes or whatever, and you jump in the shower and you get freshened up and you're finally ready, well, now there's a skip to your step, and you grab your, your things, your wallet, your keys, your phone, whatever else, and out the door you go. And at least now you're activated. Nobody had to tell Peter to get out of the boat. <laughs> he came up with that on his own. Matthew chapter 14 verses 28 through 33 says this, Lord, if it is you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Jesus says, come. Then Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when Peter saw the wind, he was afraid, and he began to sink, and he cried out, Lord, save me! Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down, and then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly you are the Son of God. Peter's impulse in that story was that of excitement. Uh, <clears throat> I'll just get ahead of myself. The, in the next uh, point we're going to look at, the impulse is, is that of passion. And um, I, I, when I first came up with those words, I thought, I know there's a difference between the two. And I had, I had a time trying to differentiate, and this kind of helped me. Um, the, the impulse of excitement is one that's based on emotion or an adrenaline rush an adrenaline rush. You ever have anything that just really excites you and you are so excited about it, you just can't help but sign up. Sign me up. I'm excited about this. Maybe you don't have all the answers yet. You don't have it worked out yet, but you are excited. Peter was excited about seeing Jesus walking on the water and coming to him in the midst of stormy weather. I preached a whole sermon on this passage last October, so I don't want to say too much about the, the stuff that led up to this, but basically you have the disciples, they're all in this boat, they're going to the other side of the lake, and in the midst of stormy weather, suddenly they see someone coming toward them. They've been afraid up to this point, and now they are scared to death because they think it must be a ghost. 
And finally, when they realize that it's Jesus, Peter's first, ex- first ex- uh, thought is, hey, I want to do this too. If Jesus is walking on the water, I want to walk on the water with him. And so he asks him, he requests, please command that I come to you. Jesus says, come on. <laughs> Peter gets out of the boat. Now, what we remember about that story so much is that Peter took his eyes off of Jesus, he put it on the winds and the waves, the wind and the waves, and he began to sink. And that's right, he did. But at least he got out of the boat, right? You know, sometimes we want to wait until we've got 80% or 90% or 100% of all of the answers before we're willing to get out of the boat and say, here I come, Lord. And by then it's too late because we've waited until there are no wind or other waves and everything's comfortable and everything's risk-free and nothing requires faith. That was not Peter's problem. In his impulsiveness, he says, hey, command that I come to you. The other thing that Peter does really well in the midst of this is that he cries out to the Lord when he's scared. Boy, it's hard, isn't it, sometimes to admit You're in over your head, bit off more than you can chew, to cry out, Lord, save me. Have you ever wanted to cry out to the Lord like that? Did you cry out to the Lord like that? Because oftentimes we don't, right? Men have this reputation, wives, before GPS, you're lost. Some of you are smiling. You already know where this is going. You're lost. You're out of town. You you know that you're lost. You're finally beginning to admit it. And your wife says to you, why don't you stop (laughs) and ask someone? Oh, no, I'm not lost, we say. Oh, Peter knew. Hey, this is not good. The wind must have been really bad. And the waves must have been crashing down. And he was frightened. This fisherman who was accustomed to wind and and waves and rain and, and sea life cried out, Lord, save me. And what does Jesus do? Upon that cry for help, reaches out his hand, right? Do you need a hand up from the son of the living God, the one who controls the wind and the waves, because he, he'll, he'll stick it out to you, and he'll pull you up with him and get back in that boat with you. And that's what Jesus did with Peter, but with a rebuke. Oh, you have little faith. Why, why, did, you, why did you doubt? Um, are you quick to get excited about something, but then scared off? By the risk? Uh, What gets you excited in faith? Maybe it's a ministry opportunity like uh, Jeff shared with us, uh, I think that was last week, where we talked about living hope and the opportunity that we have to to partner with them in such a way that we really, literally make a difference in the lives of homeless families in Boone County. It's huge. Are there risks? You better believe there is. There's risk when you get out of the boat. There's wind and there's, there are waves. But when you get scared, focus on Jesus. Because when you, when you focus on Jesus you, and you activate your participation, he will reach out and take hold of your hand. If you see a disaster on the news, such as a a hurricane or an earthquake in another state somewhere, and your first impulse is to do something, to donate items, to go and serve, that's good. Don't lose that impulse. 
Don't lose that impulse. It's a good thing that we want to get out of the boat when we see Jesus. Just make sure that you focus on him because there is the reality of the wind and the waves. Next, focus your faith in Jesus. Jesus reached out his hand to Peter and Peter took it. We become world changers when we focus on pleasing Jesus and not others. The second thing is to advance the kingdom. Peter was all about the kingdom. And, and this is what I'm calling, you know, that willingness to be in the fight. Peter's example was that he was willing to be engaged and in, in the fight. John chapter 18, verses 10 through 11 says this. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. Servant's name was Malchus. Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? Here the impulse is passion, as I alluded to earlier. And the difference between the excitement and the passion, because those sound a lot alike to me, if, excite, if excitement is based on emotion and an adrenaline rush, then in, the impulse of passion is, is a, a deep caring, a, a deep compassion for others. Hence the word passion. When Peter was in there in the garden with Jesus and when the soldiers came to arrest Jesus, Peter was willing to die for the Lord if he must. When he said it, he meant it. And when the, when the soldiers came, he pulls out a sword. And I love how specific the, the, the scriptures are. It helps you to know this is a real story. This isn't made up. What ear did he cut off? Cuts off the right ear. What was his name? His name was Malchus. And Peter just, I mean, immediately cuts off his ear. If you're familiar with this story, after Jesus rebukes him and says, Peter, put away your sword, he, he reaches down, picks up the ear. This is a couple thousand years ago, by the way. We weren't reattaching things back then. He reaches down, picks up the ear, and restores it to Malchus's head. And then he gives his message to him. The reality that hit Peter in the midst of his caring deeply about the kingdom and feeling like the Lord needed him to defend him, like he's his secret service or something, was that he acted out in a violent way. And that's not good. But at least he was passionate about the kingdom and the church and about following the Lord, even if it meant he followed him into death. He was ready, and he demonstrated that by pulling that sword out in that moment. And although that was not a good thing, and Jesus rebuked him for it, we see that Peter was all in, and the reality that he was facing were threatening circumstances. And the focus that Jesus gave him was this, the cross, the cross of Jesus. Jesus says, this is, this is the cup I've come to drink. We've come to this point in his 33-year-on-earth life, this part of his three-year ministry, in which it's okay for people to know who he is and why he's here and what he has come to do, because he came for the cross. If Jesus came and he spent 33 years with us, and we skipped the cross and Easter Sunday, and he just ascended back into heaven, you and I would be lost in our sins. I don't know about you, but I'm not perfect. Actually, I do know about all of us. None of us are perfect. The Bible says all of us have sinned, and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. None of us measure up. We've all missed the mark. 
And because of that, we need a Savior. And Jesus is the only Savior of man, the Son of the living God. And he came to this earth for us, and it was all about going to the cross. Even Jesus himself did not want it. He prayed in the garden, let this cup pass from me, but not what I will, your will be done. And he went to the cross. And as Isaiah says, he was whipped, whelped, bleeding, wounded for your transgressions and mine. And if his blood had not been poured out, you know I don't like the word spilled. (laughs) If it had not been intentionally poured out for you and me, no one took it from him, he gave it. We'd still be lost in our sins. And Peter got that. Once he got past his impulsive moment, he learned to focus on the cross of Jesus. And you and I need to do that as well. We need to focus on the cross of Christ. That's what we proclaim. Not ourselves, not our own talents, not our own abilities, not how much we know, not about our powerful influence. What we focus on is Christ and him crucified. And he says, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to me. And by lifted up, he's talking about that cross being lifted up, thud, in the ground before everyone. If I be lifted up, I'll draw all men to me. And he was. We become world changers when we focus on pleasing Jesus. One final thing, and that is acknowledge your faith. Peter taught us to acknowledge our faith. He did that in the midst of all of his impulsiveness. The example I want to use here is when, Jesus, when Peter denies Jesus three times. He had said, oh, I'll not deny you. Even if I have to die for my faith in you, I will not deny you. And it didn't take long. Jesus said, before the rooster crows, you will have denied me three times. Before the rooster crows, meaning before your alarm clock goes off in the early morning hours, you will have denied me not once, not twice, but three times. Prophecy. And here it is. John 18, verses 17 through 24 says, the, uh, somebody questions Peter and says, You aren't one of the man's disciples too, are you? She asked Peter. And he replied, I am not. It was cold. And the servants and officials stood around a fire that they had made to keep warm. Peter also was standing with them, warming himself. Meanwhile, verse 25, Meanwhile, Simon Peter was still standing there, warming himself. So they asked him, Hey, you aren't one of his disciples too, are you? He denied it, saying, I am not. One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the the man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him. She remembered him. Didn't I see you with him in the garden? Again, Peter denied it. And at that moment, a rooster began to crow. And Peter realizes what he's done. His impulse was determination. I'll I'll follow you anywhere you go, Jesus. I'll be your number one uh, disciple. There's nowhere too far for me to go for you, even death, if it takes that. Oh, really, Peter? (laughs) You'll die for me? Let's see what morning brings. Because the reality of the worldly pressure caused Peter to do what he never thought he would do, deny Christ three times. Now, when that happens, and you've blown it big time, and who among us has not blown it big time? Don't you kind of feel like God could never use me now? (laughs) I've got this flaw. I've got this failure. I've blown it. God's going to hate me. God's not going to use me. And we quickly begin to just withdraw and say, I can never be a servant or be used of the Lord, we fear. But 
Jesus teaches Peter how to focus on him. And that is his love, the love of Jesus. Here it is. The resurrection's happened, and we've had this miraculous catch of fish. And Jesus says, John 21, 15 through 19, he says, When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? It's a little awkward, isn't it? Didn't we just have this conversation, right? Do you love me? And he says to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. A third time, (laughs) he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him a third time. Love that honesty, don't you? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Boy, isn't that an admission of the sovereignty of God that he knows that Jesus knows what's in his heart, that Jesus knows what he's thinking and that he doesn't even have to ask it and yet he asked once and twice and now a third time and it actually hurts his feelings and Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you. And lead you where you do not want to go. Take up your cross and follow me. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And he said to him, follow me. Are there limits to where you're willing to follow Jesus? Because I want you to know that if you will focus on Jesus and make him your only audience, you will be able to do things for the kingdom that you cannot even begin to think or imagine. Immeasurably beyond all of your vision is how God can use you for his kingdom. But you've got to get out of the boat and activate your faith. You've got to be willing to acknowledge your belief in him and not... Uh, deny him. You got to focus on Jesus at all times. Activate and acknowledge and advance his kingdom. Would you pray with me, please? Father God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you, Lord, for allowing us to be called yours. Lord, I thank you that for every single person in this room, Lord, you have purpose uh, for us individually and for us together as Dover Christian Church. And God, we want to not be impulsive in a thoughtless, wishy-washy kind of way, but God, we, we want to be all in. And God, I pray that you would take that energy, that passion, that excitement that we have, and that, God, you would build upon it and that you would show us great things, God, eternal things that only you can accomplish. And God, at the end of the day, we will give you the credit and the praise for it. Lord, I pray for this special time of decision that we're about to have. I pray, God, that your Holy Spirit would have his way, that, God, you would move among our body, that those who do not know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, that, God, today will be the day that they say enough and that they will acknowledge that that your Son is who he said he is and the only Savior of man. 
And God, I pray that you would, uh, that you would give courage to those that are too humble to make that decision, God. That, Lord, that they would, that they would recognize that you've already done everything uh, that needed to be done. And that they have only one audience member to impress today. May you be impressed, God, by our hearts of worship and praise. Surely your son is the son of the living God. We pray this in his name. Amen.